BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Fox 2 News present the Fox Files podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Fox Files investigator Mitch McCoy. Thanks for either watching or listening to our podcast today. We're going in-depth on a case that we've been following for more than a month now, and it's Donna I and Donna I's disappearance. This is something that we started hearing about in early January, and joining me now is Major Steve Runge, law enforcement expert, uh, decades of experience. Maybe. Decades? Maybe. <laughs> uh, violent crimes, yes. homicides. Yes. You are, you know it all. No, I do, but I work with a lot of good people that do. Yeah. We're, we're, we're joined with, with Major Runge here because you, you've you investigated a lot of missing persons cases. Yes. You know, from uh, the, the beginning of something to the end of something to, you know, okay, something's suspicious here, something's not suspicious. So Major Runge is going to be able to walk us through and, and give us his analysis as we uh, walk through the case with you, as we know it, because there are a lot of moving parts. Um Donna I, uh, for, for those who are unaware of the case, went missing uh, in early January, and I have a case timeline, last seen January 8th. And it's important, the, the time frame of the case, uh, down by the minute. And, and explain for some people um, who may not be uh, glued to crime uh, cases, how important is that timeline and the initial timeline and the hours leading up to someone's disappearance? Oh, it's very important. I think uh, initially because we use those timelines, uh, one of the things that we do is immediately go out and look at, at cell phone data and video surveillance. And we want those timelines to be accurate as close as they can be because when we get a report of something like that, we're going to go after video first and foremost. At that point, are you also you, you got to build a concrete timeline so that way you can also find holes to, to poke in people's stories if, if something goes suspicious with the case. Right. So creating a timeline, uh, it's important because you've got a start point and an end point, and you've got to fill in all the gaps in between. So we try to be, we're not always perfect, but we try to get it as close as we can uh, because you never know, you put something down, and you never know as the investigation unfolds if that's going to come back and be of something that you need. Right. So you're going to go ahead and document those timelines and, and uh, put all that down on your, on your, on your board. Yeah. So in, in terms of Donna I's disappearance, so Donna uh, was at a hospital uh, leading up to um, her disappearance. And a missing persons report was filed a couple of days later on January 11th. She went missing, or last seen January 8th. Missing persons report filed January 11th. From an investigator's uh, perspective, what does it tell you with the delay in a, a missing persons report being filed? Is, is that odd or could that just be different depending on the circumstances? Well, it's different depending on the circumstances. I mean, if you've got a kid that comes home from school every day at three o'clock and, and today's Wednesday and it's five o'clock and nobody's heard from them, that's very concerning. Uh, with an adult, um, 
it's it's hard to it's hard to say we've got a red flag here or not as far as how long they've been missing. All that we know is we get called on the 11th and, and this person is missing and then we've got to put it all together. So um, the fact now, after the fact that we know that she was missing for three days, that leads me to believe maybe, she, and I'm not, first of all, my condolences to the family, but uh, you know, does she have a, a history of, of just missing? You know, take, and some people do, and they just go to friends' houses and stay with relatives, so. Because it's not a crime to disappear. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, so Donna I is at Washington County Memorial Hospital, according to the um, detectives on this case. She's at the, arrives at the uh, emergency department at 3.25 p.m. on January 8th. She's then discharged from the hospital at 5.51 p.m. According to investigators, she was uh, treated by staff there, and she had been in the emergency department waiting in that area. And then at that point, uh, a, a Washington County female sheriff's deputy, and female's important in this whole scenario, um, gives her a ride home uh, because she was in the hospital ER um, and she lives out in the county, so the, the sheriff's office uh, drops her off um, along Shirley School Road and uh, a Forest Service Road, Forest Service Road 2375. So that's all within that 11 p.m. hour. At that point, again, we're talking January 8th, and it was a couple days later on January 11th that the family uh, files the missing persons report, and then we start hearing about a missing person. We start hearing about um, uh, th there could be a sheriff's deputy who dropped her off. Uh, there could be uh, searches happening in the Mark Twain National Forest. And her family reaches out. Um, is that normal? I mean, for the family to start reaching out to the media, is it usually law enforcement driven? Is it a little bit of both? I, I mean, I would think it's a little bit of both, but. It is a little bit of both, uh, depending on the circumstances. I mean, the family, if, uh, if they're not happy with the progress that law enforcement has made, uh, you know, maybe they contacted the police and mm -hmm. they just couldn't find her. Uh, reaching out to the media is a, a tool that we use yeah. and certainly a tool that the family can use. You know, but if you, if to dissect that, you talked about the importance of the timeline. Um, so she's discharged uh, before 6 p.m. from the hospital, technically discharged, but she stays in the emergency room for hours. Red flag? Odd? Different? You know, I mean, not everybody has transportation. You know, I, she'd lived, what, maybe, I think 20 minutes from the hospital, why didn't somebody go pick her up? You know, um, some people just choose to live a life and that's fine for her, you know, to to go to a, med a doctor's appointment or go to, I mean, she went to the hospital uh, complaining, I think, of a headache. By ambulance. Yeah, by ambulance, complaining of a headache and just general, just, just didn't feel well. So she didn't have a ride to the hospital. She gets to the hospital, she's treated and released. She doesn't have a ride home. Uh, there's nobody and she sits there for hours and uh, so at some point, a Potosi police officer is in there on an unrelated matter, and the medical staff says, hey, can you give her a ride home? Perfectly common. Happens all the time. Can you give her a ride home? So the Potosi officer says, you know what? She doesn't live in the city. I can't go out of the city. Maybe that's what he said. Uh, but hey, uh, she lives in Washington County. Why don't we have a Washington County deputy pick her up? And that happens all the time. You know? It does. So... A Washington County deputy picks her up, but I want to back up. 
One of the things that it's noted in the investigation is that the Potosi police officer didn't think something was right with her. And he asked the medical staff to reevaluate her because he was concerned about her well-being. Um, we go through a lot of uh, a lot of training, CIT training, where we can recognize people with a mental illness. Um, police officers can kind of put you know our uh, our our two cents in if we don't think something's right. So uh, my guess is that the officer, the Potosi police officer, met with her, saw her behavior, saw her demeanor. Okay, she was checked out before 6 p.m., but she's sitting in the ER, just sitting there for hours and but at the same time you can walk into any ER in St. Louis and see people that have been there for hours right you know uh, people hang out at the McDonald's for hours so so you know but there is something going on with her that the Potosi police officer uh, was was concerned about and yeah. he asked the medical staff hey can you take another look at her they did not so that's an issue they can deal with that so he asks for a uh, Washington County Sheriff's deputy to come pick her up and give her a ride home and it's not something that we're obligated to do, uh, but it's a courtesy ride, and sometimes police officers do that. It, it happens uh, not a whole lot, but it does happen. Does that help build a, a relationship with the community and, and the people you serve? Yeah, we have a heart. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, if it's 10 degrees outside and a wind chill of minus 15, and I see somebody walking, I'll give them, hey, can I give you a ride? So in this case, you got a, a woman at the ER. There's nobody there to pick her up. She needs to go home. Absolutely, I, I do it at a heartbeat, yeah. and I could. Most police officers would as well. Yeah. So, um, female sheriff's deputy gives Donna a, a ride, and it's to Shirley School Road. And uh, according to the sheriff, she he says um, Donna says this is this is where I'm going to be dropped off, and it was at the intersection of Shirley School Road and Forest Service Road 2375. And I know you haven't been out there because you're not investigating this case. It's probably worth noting. You're, you have no involvement right. in this case. Um, and I mean, I can only imagine when it's nighttime. I mean, it is pitch black. There is no electricity, you know, other than to the, to the homes that are along Shirley School Road. So it's very, very dark. And Donna says, this is it. This is my stop. Her brother, who you're about to hear from, Ronald I, then then started expressing some concern, saying that she may have been confused and thought that that was his property when, in fact, his property was a mile back. Okay. So take a listen to Ronald I. This is Donna's brother, who then contacted us as the search started ramping up for uh, her, her, uh, his sister. Uh, my name is Ronald I. And uh, tell us your sister. Uh, my sister Donna, she's, um, um, what, what, what would you like to know about her? I mean, tell, tell us about her, who she is. Oh, she's, uh, she's just a lively, uh, you know, goofy, silly Donna. She, um, she's my older sister, and uh, we were best friends growing up. And, and uh, she, I mean, she's a good aunt, good grandma, and she, she loves her family. And, and, you know, so that's, that's pretty much her to gist. She's, she's a sweetheart. How old is she? Uh, Donna's 44. 44. Mm hmm. Tell us about the the accident and and some of the the um, brain trauma and the, the issues that led her to having to go to the hospital. Uh, well, Donna uh, has had hydrocephalus, I believe it's what it's called. It's uh it's where your spinal fluid doesn't drain from your brain, and uh, she had to have shunts put in, which which helps that drain. And sometimes there's complications from that, and uh, I believe she had some blockage, um, uh, you know, that that kept it from draining. Uh, and she had been to the hospital a couple times back and forth to try to make sure she would get that taken care of. And it causes different problems. And actually, it will cause physical 
problems where you can't walk or you can't coordinate. Uh, but it'll also cause you to have some kind of mental anguish, you know. So uh, that's kind of what she had going on. And so, and so she was at the hospital. And then, when did when did things just get weird? Because you, what do you know to be fact? Well, um, well, I like I said, I. I I, Donna doesn't, we don't speak sometimes, it may be a month or two at a time, you know, but we, we always try to keep in touch in little increments, you know, and make sure during the holidays we, we tell each other we love each other. We don't, I mean, we're grown, we have our own families, we kind of we kind of do our own thing, but uh, I hadn't talked to Donna since right before the operation for her, for her complications on her shunts, uh, and she uh, informed me she was going in to, to have that done. Um, and I know for the, what I really know for a fact is that she did have it, and she was in pretty bad shape for a while. I, I have a picture of her in the hospital, and the family had come around, and uh, she was she looked pretty bad. Um, so I know she wasn't doing good from the, the initial operation to start with. And then so when she um, that Monday, January eighth, mm -hmm. when she left the hospital, do you know for sure who she left the hospital with? Well, I mean, I, I wasn't there to witness it, but what I was told by the Washington County Sheriff's Department deputies that, that came to my house, and it was actually later that they told me this. They didn't initially tell me that when we first found out she was missing, but they did come to my house. They made contact with me, and they informed me um, while we were standing actually right where we're at right now that she had been taken, picked up at the hospital by a Washington County Sheriff, female Sheriff's deputy. And, the and police actually told you that a deputy picked her absolutely. up. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, the police told me they picked her up. Uh, it's, they said it was a female sheriff's deputy that picked her up at about 11 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. And to give her, they said that they were called in there by the hospital because she was trying to leave. And uh, and they picked her up uh, to give her a ride. Mm -hmm. Would it be normal for her to want to leave the hospital at 11 o'clock at night? Well, Donna wasn't in no, no she wasn't in, in a condition to make a decision for herself. She has a, she has a legal power of attorney that should have been notified and, and allowed to, you know, make that decision for her. But she, even if she wanted to leave, they shouldn't have let her leave. She was in no shape physically or mentally to leave the hospital. Being real, we know that it's freezing outside. It is. <laughs> you guys have been coordinating a lot of efforts here. Absolutely. Is this still a search and rescue? It, it, it'll always be a search and rescue till we know for sure what went on. In our, and we're never going to stop looking. So, um, I mean, we're getting ready to coordinate one today and get out here and get it done. We've seen some of the crime scene tape. Yeah. But this crime scene tape, you say, is 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 there for a specific reason? Yeah. This is the exact point where the bag was found, right here in the middle of the road. We call this road Pope Pillar. It's just a conservation road, and uh, it was it was sitting right here. And when we just come up through here, and it just like somebody had set it off a off the back of a truck or something like that. What was in the bag? Uh, it was it was her clothes, um, just a little bit of her makeup. I believe she had some uh, bathroom uh, items in there, uh, 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 open pack of marble cigarettes, and uh, an empty pill bottle. That's about it. And 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 and, and, and um, no coat, nothing, nothing like that. And she didn't have a coat at all. I don't believe. Does it surprise you that some of the crime scene tape is is still here? Um, it does. It does. It either. Just a little bits here and there, or not more other places. You know, they they found different items. They they claim, so maybe they should have been marked too. You know, they should still be out here looking. In my opinion, so they you know maybe it should be here, but it should be here because they're here. Are you surprised by the Washington County Sheriff's Office? Um, I'm not surprised. Uh, I mean, it's in my experience, um, I, and I hate to. I know law enforcement has a hard job to do, and they have a job to do. Uh, and they get a lot of grief sometimes, but I, I believe that something to this uh, magnitude should have been um, should have been 
more scrutinized by the sheriff. We haven't heard from him. I haven't heard from him. Uh, but I knew I knew the sheriff personally growing up. We grew up together. Um, and uh, just some of the attitude we got and, you know, how, how they treated us, trying to help them, you know, do what they needed to do. So we had that conversation with Ronald out in the Mark Twain National Forest. And in it, uh, for people who are listening to the podcast, this is bitter cold. I mean, remember when we went through right. that cold right. snap in January? And, I mean, temperatures were, you know, the high temperature I think was two degrees, you know, on one of those days. It was freezing outside. And it had also snowed in the Mark Twain National Forest. So there were a lot of concerns about um, where, obviously, Donna is. She's been missing now for, for several days. But there was also another interview that I did. We're going to play that for you. And that was with um, a, another family member. That's Leanne Miller. It's uh, Donna's daughter-in-law, who, um, in, the, in the middle of the interview, helped me better understand some of Donna's medical issues, but then also revealed another huge part of this investigation that would really trigger a lot of concern for law enforcement. And it's what Donna was wearing when she disappeared. Take a listen. Donna. I am Donna's daughter-in-law. Donna. I'm married to her son. Uh, you have been a driving force behind some of the publicity. Tell me about what sparked some of the social media posts. So initially, Washco Sheriff Department, they're the ones who posted that she was missing without even telling us they were going to do it, um, which no, no shame on doing that. They just wanted to get it out there. So then that's whenever we took it public and we started sharing and um, getting everyone out here looking for her, and we started searching ourselves. We were actually the first civilians out here. You helped organize parts of the search today, right? Yes, so yes. what are So what are you hoping people come out with today to help? Today, I just hope that we end the day with more answers than what we started with. And when, like when I initially made the Facebook post to get attention, I had to keep backtracking because I just wanted to get the story out there and I didn't realize that people would hyper-focus on small details that at the time we didn't think was important. But then it turns out it was a big deal to most people in the search to try and see where she was at, where she was going, and like the transportation. What, what is your, what's your overall concern with the weather? Because it's very, it's, it's cold. With the weather, when Donna's inside, she's wearing a jacket. We got her a Snuggie for Christmas, and that's what she was actually wearing. <sighs> I know it's hard. That's what she was actually wearing to the hospital. Because she's naturally cold. She's 100 pounds. She's scared of the dark. I just can't believe another human would think and justify that it was okay to leave her out here. It's no different than a child. It's no different than a grandma, an older grandma. Like, the state of mind she was in, her condition, she had 40 stitches in her neck. 
two chest tubes. She couldn't even raise her arms. She had to physically have help getting dressed every day, even the morning she went to the hospital. So for her to be out here just absolutely breaks my heart. So all of that conversation with Donna's family happened on January 14th. The story went to air that night right. at 9 p.m. May have been the lead story. Um, and then that very next morning, the sheriff, Washington County Sheriff Zach Jacobson, activated the Mineral Area Major Case Squad. Uh, and we were told that um, he activated that Major Case Squad for several different reasons. As a seasoned investigator, when an agency activates the Major Case Squad, what does that do? So I'm not familiar with their Major Case Squad, but in St. Louis, we will give uh, an agency that requests usually about 25 detectives for 40 hours, five days. Uh, sometimes it's twice the amount of hours, but uh, it's usually it's a five-day call out. Okay. And uh, it's, it's based on the circumstances of each case. And, you, and here you've got a missing person, um, no sign of foul play. You know, she's just gone and you need manpower. Yeah. And so I don't know how big their squad is down there. I think there, it's but, about a dozen. Okay, well yeah. then you've got, you got a 12 seasoned detectives that know how to find people and that's what their job is. Best of the best. Right. Yeah. Um, so as, as we start hearing about the major case squad activation, it also picks up a lot of more media attention and social media starts to play a factor and people are throwing their two cents into things. What does that do from an investigation standpoint when you have social media that starts to... Uh, well, unless you're trying to find somebody that doesn't want to be found, like a murder suspect or something like that, in this case it's helpful because we will get on social media and start running her name and, and maybe somebody's seen her. You know, sure. you, you've got leads out there. I mean, uh, Potosi is a rural area, that county is a rural county, and you get that name out there, it gets her name out there, her picture out there, and that helps us a lot. Yeah. Very helpful. Um, so is, is we know that there was a coordinated search on um, a couple of days before the major case squad was activated. Um, that was obviously organized by, by law enforcement, by the sheriff's office. You had a bunch of agencies involved. Um, and then at, at this point, we know that her body was actually found on January 17th along Shirley School Road and, and we're told into the woods and, and something you would not have been able to see from the road. What does that do from an investigation standpoint? Because obviously now you have a body and you have to determine if there was a crime, right? Right, so seal everything off. Uh, try to determine if you've got a crime scene. Get the medical examiner out there, try to determine about how long she's been there. Uh, they've got ways to do that and then just from that point on, try to walk backwards in time and, and try to recreate every day leading up to that from the last point that she was seen alive. This is slightly different though because the last person to see her alive is a female sheriff's deputy. Right. How does that play a role in the investigation and, and questions you ask and how you go about the case? So you're talking about a four or five day gap and so the sheriff's deputy can provide great information. What was her mental state? Uh, what was, uh, you know, what was going on during the ride? Did she say anything during the ride? Um, so the sheriff's deputy can provide great information and great intel and give the, the, the uh, detectives a good area to look. You know, if she said, let me out here, well, then you're going to start there. Maybe, I know there was some weather that came in. You got some snow. 
Um, I don't know if they could do a, a dog track, you know, because they, they believe that she was last seen with the sheriff's deputy. It's not, that's unknown. We know that she did see her and she did get out of the police car at one point. Did she come into contact with anybody else in that time frame? And so that's where your, your uh, major case squad detectives will go door to door in the area. Do you have any, you have anybody of suspicion that you want to talk to, uh, passerbys, start putting up flyers at gas stations? It was at, you know, around midnight on that night. And then you've got, a, you got several days in between where she, where she was unaccounted for. So uh, that, I think that deputy can give really good information and then you just go from there with the investigation. And if we, we now know that the cause of death from the um, medical examiner shows accidental hypothermia, there are still some tests pending, so it has not been finalized. Toxicology is also pending. It, it, where does that lead the major case squad in, in this area when you have that type of cause of death? I mean, in terms of the criminal side of the investigation. Well, if the medical examiner rules a cause of death to be a certain cause, uh, and here it's by hypothermia, uh, there's no sign of foul play if that in fact is the case. There's no sign of a drug-induced death, you know, where she overdosed, somebody drugged her. Uh, there's no sign of foul play, then that is your answer. So if the criminal side of the investigation is over and you have now law enforcement agencies looking at this, how do law enforcement agencies look at this situation to prevent another Donna I from happening? Well, what we do is we learn from things. As an example, in this case, if you try to search and research other cases similar to this, there are very few. I only found one. I found a case where the, some police officers picked up what was probably an intoxicated pedestrian that was walking down the middle of the highway. Uh, they, they gave this guy uh, a ride towards his house. He got out of the car, the officers turned around, and then he was hit and killed. Uh, so the courts looked at liability, you know, and at the end of the day, does law enforcement have a duty to intervene, you know, beyond contact? You know, once we release you, uh, and, and in her case, she wasn't a prisoner. I mean, no, yeah, she not got, us, you know, the, did she get in the car voluntarily? Um, you're not, un she's not under arrest. So if she says, let me out of the car, you have to let her out of the car. Um, a, an officer, I would think in a rural county, might have an occasion to maybe know somebody like that. They might have come across her before. And had she been with an officer that knew her personally uh, from maybe previous contact, they might have said, hey, Donna, you know what, I, I know you don't live here. You know, let's, let's get you home. Uh, but also at the end of the day, if, if you're giving somebody a ride, a courtesy ride, and they say, let me out of the car here, um, you got to let them out of the car. You know, and if they know more, you know, say they have a history with the family. If I knew her personally, okay, I'll let you out of the car, but then I'm going to get on the phone. I'll call her mom or her dad and say, hey, you know what, check this out. Here I am with Donna. She doesn't want to ride. She just jumped out of the car, and here she is, and I'll stay here until help arrives or somebody picks her up. So when you look at the totality of the circumstances, nobody picked her up from the hospital. She sat there five hours. She lives 20 minutes away. Uh, she, the officer gives her a courtesy ride, and at some point Donna says, hey, just let me out here. Um, you know, the officer used her best judgment and that's, that's what she decided to do. So uh, how can we prevent that from happening in the future? Those are so rare. I mean, again, I only found one other case and I found case law on that, how that was dealt with. And, um, but we can learn from it, you yeah. know, we can, we can learn from it and, and maybe um, in the future, um, 
if you recognize somebody, you know, have like the Potosi officer recognized when he got there, when he was there, wait a second, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Something's not right. Ask the staff to check her out again. They declined to check her out again. Maybe they were familiar with her. Maybe this is Donna. Maybe this is how she presents. They may know that. He doesn't know that. The, the sheriff's deputy, she may not know this person from anybody. She doesn't know that she has these injuries. She has these, she has a, if she has a history. So, you know, the, the deputy uh, acted, in, in my opinion, acted in good faith. And when she said, let me out of the car here, I mean, that's what she's got to do. Yeah. So we can learn from that. You know, uh, we can learn to ask questions. Um, hey, you know, run them. What is your name? What, and then you can find their address. Sure, sure. And, and there's things that they can learn. And I, I'm, I'm certain if that were to come up again, yeah. that uh, there's going to be a different way to handle that. So the, the sh Washington County Sheriff, uh, Zach Jacobson, has said that he is going to, you know, you have your criminal side of the investigation, which apparently, regardless of, of the outcome of what the medical examiner rules, what investigators find, that entire case file is going to go to the Washington County prosecutor for review. Um, and, and that will include a review of all the actions, including the deputy's actions. There is going to be an internal affairs investigation. And then the sheriff said that he wants to bring uh, like an independent group in to review the policy and the courtesy rides and how those are conducted and and looking at should the policy exist. If it exists, do there need to be other safeguards in place? Um, that's a pretty proactive approach. Yeah, I think he's doing the right thing. I think he's doing the right thing. And um, there's not a lot of departments that have a courtesy right policy. You know, there's a lot of things law enforcement does that isn't in policy. Not that it's a bad thing. Uh, you know, if an officer wants to help you, uh, your mom, he, he pulls up and your mom's unloading a car with groceries. There isn't a policy that says how he should help an elderly person unload her car, but the officer will do it. And at courtesy rides is just a part of what we do. Mm -hmm. And not every department has a policy on it, uh, but in this case, looking at the totality of the circumstances, looking at, you know, could the officer have uh, asked more questions, uh, performed maybe a CIT interview with the, uh, uh, with, the with Mrs. I. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that uh, they can talk about it so that in the future this doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, I think regardless, tragic situation. Very tragic. Um, that garnered a lot of attention. There were a lot of questions surrounding her disappearance and what led up and, and how she died and, and the policies that may change, the policies that, the additional safeguards that may be put in place after all of this. Um, and it's not over. I was actually just texting with the commander of the Mineral Area Major K Squad, said, hey, are there any updates? And he says, not yet. Um, obviously, they're still waiting on toxicology. They're still waiting on other uh, lab reports to come back. So as the case continues to evolve and develop, uh, we're going to be covering it uh, on Fox 2 and our sister station, News 11, and we will continue to push for uh, answers. We'll also continue to follow uh, the, the outcome of that independent group and d determine if, if there are going to be ad additional safeguards that are put in place by the Washington County Sheriff's Office and, and how the uh, internal affairs investigation also conclude. So uh, for Major Steve Rungi, thank you for coming. My pleasure. It's the first My podcast. Pleasure. Right on. We got, maybe we'll upgrade to real plants next you time go. you're here. <laughs> uh, so for uh, the entire Fox Files investigators, I'm Fox Files investigator Mitch McCoy. Thanks for listening today. And remember, we are always online, fox2now.com. Take care. Thank you for watching the Fox Files podcast. 